doing, everybody? We are back. Another edition of College Football Gridiron on this December 30th of 2020. It is College Football Playoff Semifinal Week, a pair of New Year's games in the semifinal. Notre Dame and Alabama in the Rose Bowl from Arlington and Clemson and Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Here to break it all down with you, Jimmy Sullivan, Ryan Gregware. I'm Nick DeLuca, all via Zoom, guys. Excited to finally get to the games that we've all been waiting for this season, hoping that we can maybe get it to be a little bit closer than the matchups seem to be on the surface, at least looking at them from afar right now. Yeah, I mean, when you're going into a matchup trying to justify a game being even like a 10-point game, it's not a good sign. And I think that's what we're all doing in the Rose Bowl, at least with Alabama and Notre Dame. But the Sugar Bowl should be a good one. And overall, you know, we have two college football playoff games, and that's what I'm here for. Certainly so. And I think, uh, you know, we're assuming going in a certain thing about this. And sometimes it's not a bad thing to have low expectations because you know why? It's always easier to surpass them the lower that they are. So we'll see what happens going into these two games. Certainly so, and and hopefully they are better. I think we should start with the first game of the day. So let's go Alabama and Notre Dame. ESPN's matchup predictor has Alabama at an 81% chance to win, according to the Football Power Index. Ian Book and Notre Dame's offense relying on the heavy run, and hopefully for them, they're going to be able to control the line of scrimmage a little bit and maybe run some clock. At least that's going to be the game plan. On the other side, it's the high-flying Alabama offense, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, who's been great on the ground, and Devontae Smith, who nobody is able to cover and is certainly up there in probably – he's probably going to win the Heisman. I mean, it's it's not 100% sure. You never know with the way these things go, and I'm still not 100% sold that they won't give it to a quarterback, but his name is certainly – right in the middle of that conversation as a dude who has over 1,500 yards receiving and 17 touchdowns this year. I guess the the place that I want to start is in Notre Dame because Alabama is such a heavy favorite. What does Notre Dame have to do or what does the game look like where Notre Dame actually keeps it competitive or, or somehow pulls off the upset that no one sees? Yeah, I mean, they have to run the clock. Uh, against Clemson, Kyron Williams, who's been kind of a breakout star this year, 1,000 uh, yards, 12 touchdowns down the year, he was limited to 15 carries for 50 yards. Uh, that cannot be against Bama because their offense is so explosive, 49 points a game, where they're just going to score. I mean, me and Jimmy were joking before the show, what is there going to be, one drive they don't score in the first half? So what you're going to have to do if you're Notre Dame is you're going to have to run the clock and control the time of possession – to keep the ball out of Mac Jones' hands. And that's even just a start. That's the only way you kind of keep this game close is if you control the pace, you got to win the trenches, you got to hold up Ian Book, and you can't let him get into third and longs because, you know, he's not been that great this year um, when he's had to throw the deep ball. He only has 14 completions over 30 yards. So if you're getting into third and longs, that's not what you want to do when you're Notre Dame, especially when Bama, you know, their defense was the top ranked in the SEC 19 a game. They will give up the big play, but if they're expecting you to throw it on third and long, that's not when you're going to convert. So you have to run the clock really well and kind of just hope you can maybe get a Mac Jones turnover to to kind of flip this game. Yeah, Ryan, uh, I think there's two parts of it. Uh, you took one. 
I'll take the other, which is that uh, in addition to keeping Alabama off the field and what you said, maybe getting a couple turnovers, I think another big piece of this is also just limiting the big plays, right? We saw Florida get gashed left and right by Najee Harris, by Devontae Smith on a long touchdown pass. And we know this Alabama offense has a, a ton of burners, a ton of guys that can hurt you. By the way, they're missing Jalen Waddell, who everybody thinks is the best wide receiver in the country, who maybe could be back if they get to the national championship game. But when you have something like this, as silly as it sounds, it comes down to the basics, right? Finishing plays, finishing tackles, like not giving up yards after contact in the case of Najee Harris. So I think limiting the big plays, the the big pop plays, a Devontae Smith touchdown downfield, a long run by Najee Harris. I think that also will be a big key for Notre Dame, making Alabama earn it, if you will. Now, that is a lot easier said than done. Devontae Smith is an extremely tough cover, and there's so many ways this Alabama offense can hurt you. Mac Jones has been crazy accurate down the stretch of this season. But if Notre Dame can force Alabama into kind of protracted drives, combined with what Ryan said with shortening the game, I think that's probably the only way they can give themselves a chance. We know that they're not going to win a 56-49 game with Alabama, right? I don't know if anyone can win a 56-49 game with Alabama right now. Definitely not Notre Dame. But you win the time of possession, you shorten the game, and you make Alabama, if they have to score, maybe go on a longer drive and see if you can't you know, force them to maybe kick a field goal in the red zone as opposed to getting a long chunk play for a touchdown. So I think for Notre Dame, it's doing what is a lot easier said than done, which is not giving up these 20, 30, 40, 50 yard plays to Alabama that are just backbreakers when you're going up against this offense. We talk about this every once in a while, at least Jimmy and I and Ryan certainly will understand where I'm going with this, but you look down in in the way that, college football has just sort of changed. And it's amazing to me because I, I get down to sort of the, the ESPN matchup predictor and you, you go to the team stats and I'm just looking up and down at Alabama right now. They, they, they average 540 total yards a game. Like, how insane is that? Especially with, I mean, are we that far removed from the, the nine to three one, two game Alabama and LSU like that? That was a thing not too long ago. And Nick Saban was always coaching this great defense. And it was about, oh, can he find a quarterback or an offensive attack to really make Alabama successful or have them take off? And the last few years in the recruits that he's brought in and just, I mean, he had Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, and now Mac Jones all in one quarterback room. And we always talk about Oklahoma and how great that they've been and what they've been able to achieve. And yeah, of course, I mean, they're still quarterback you. But Alabama has the last couple of years been just right up there with them and, and actually sharing one of the quarterbacks and hurts. But it, it's just amazing to me to look at that. And at 355 yards passing a game, they're averaging just a touch under 200 rushing yards. The thing for me is it just like I, I, I'm appreciative that you guys were able to sort of outline how Notre Dame would potentially stay in this game. I just, I just don't see it. And I know that's the question that I asked. And I, I'm not saying that you guys even believe that that's going to happen. It's more just the recipe or the formula. But 
Alabama is just so good. And, and they seem to be sort of on another level, even to how good they've been the last few years. And it's just going to be such a difficult task for Notre Dame. And as you said, Jimmy, you know, I don't know if someone can beat Alabama 56-49. I think that's the only way you can beat them. I just – Ian Book's not good enough. Like, they just – they don't have enough offensively. They're just not explosive to make this a game. And I guess that that's that's where I want to go next. It's like, I, I just – what what is the, the mentality? What do you say on the Notre Dame sort of side here – going into it when it's such sort of an uphill battle when Alabama has just been so good this year. And as much as you want to prop it up and say this game could be competitive, that's just, that's almost not realistic when you just look up and down these rosters and how good Bama has been compared to Notre Dame, who let alone this year when they get into the big moment, really struggled against Clemson at full strength. But then when you dig into their history of, again, the tired narrative of, oh, we have been there, but we haven't been able to win the big game. And then Brian Kelly comes out this week and says, well, we don't really have anything to prove. No, Brian Kelly, you have a lot to prove in this game. And what is unfortunate, I think, on the Notre Dame side is that you're about to prove again that you're really not in that same echelon of of an Alabama or a Clemson. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that Alabama is 19.5-point favorites in this game. Uh, That's the highest ever in the college football era. And on top of that, Alabama in their last four semifinal games has outscored opponents 131-47. to So there's really no way you can kind of, you know, we talked about earlier, like we're trying to make up ways that Notre Dame can win, but it seems like everything's against them. And the only way you can beat Bama, if you even can, is with those shootouts. And as you said, Ian Book is not the quarterback to do it. This is not – this Notre Dame team is not built to do it. That's not how they were built. You know, the shootout is not really their thing. The only thing I'll say is Ian Book did probably just play his worst game of his career. So is it likely he plays that bad again? Probably not. I mean, I think Notre Dame could even play ten times better and still lose this game just because of how much of a mismatch they are for Bama. It's interesting, Nick. You were bringing up uh, what you say – on the Alabama, on the Notre Dame side, um, you know, to quote Herb Brooks or, or the guy who played Herb Brooks in the movie, you know, great moments are born from great opportunity. And let's be real. I mean, Notre Dame does have a great opportunity. Um, I also wonder, I, I will say this, and I'll, I'll preface it with saying that this is not how I believe things are actually going to go, but I wonder if there's any value if you're on the Notre Dame side of saying, look, All we've been hearing for 12, 13 days since the Clemson game and since we were selected to be number four in the CFP is that we're going to get smoked by Alabama. Like that's all like those players have been hearing. If they turn on the TV for five minutes, somebody's talking about how, you know, it's going to be Alabama Clemson in the title game and hearing that and seeing that, I mean, Notre Dame, is probably like the most maligned team in the CFP era, you know, to make the playoff like beforehand. I mean, we all thought Alabama Washington was going to be a really bad game in 2016. Washington actually gave an okay accounting of itself, but they, they lost pretty handily. And 
it's the same type of discussion going into this game. And I just wonder if there's any of that where you could say, Hey, look, nobody believes in us. Um, I know it's cliche. It probably doesn't even matter, but it's something for Notre Dame to at least come out and play with their hair on fire. I don't think it gets them four quarters to beat Alabama, but I think it could buy them a decent enough start. Well, at least they'll come out with their hair on fire, I guess. So that's, that's a good thing. They'll be motivated. And I'm, I'm with you there. I I agree that that is certainly something that there's, there's something to the bulletin board material and, and things sort of, working out for you in that way. It's just trying to, to figure out at some point, can you sustain and, and put together enough of an effort against the team that's just so good? And I don't know that Notre Dame is, is capable of that. I suppose we'll see uh, on, on Friday. But again, there's there's 19 and a half points against it in, in Vegas, right? So that's the, the difficult part of this. I want to talk a little bit about in, in keeping with Notre Dame before we, we go back to a little bit of, of Alabama. I was really interested by Brian Kelly's comments this week in saying that, hey, we don't really have anything to prove. We've been there competing around just like all these other programs, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU in this playoff era, Georgia in that same way. What did you guys make of his comments? Because for me, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, Notre Dame absolutely has something to prove. Notre Dame can walk out of this playoff differently in everybody's eyes in the country if they play a close game with Alabama. They don't even have to win, but if they play a one-score game against Alabama, they have proved a lot. I'm right there, right? We're we're sitting there saying there is a lot to prove for Notre Dame. This isn't just, oh, we're, we're always in the conversation here. Absolutely. I mean, like Notre Dame is the classic team where, Every year, it doesn't matter who's on the roster. You have all you have people just saying, oh, it's the same Notre Dame team every year. They'll just get blown out when they play a big game. And if you look at the Brian Kelly era, would like this, the Notre Dame win over Clemson this year could be the biggest in that, you know, they, no one thought they could win. It was a superior opponent, and they upset him. And that was without Trevor Lawrence, and that's a team that beat you handedly later in the season. So to say you have nothing to prove when arguably that's your most impressive win – while you already lost to that team, you know, you have a shot here. You can't be going around saying that when you haven't gotten, you haven't gotten to the game. You haven't won anything really. And yeah, I mean, you're not crazy at all. Like that was, I was, yeah, I was kind of discouraged, disappointed, you know, and Brian Kelly's done a great job there. Uh, He's really turned it around, but to say something like that when you haven't won the big game is a little disappointing. I, um, get what he is saying because it is different players every year right it's a little harder to apply the oh notre dame just chokes all the time label because 2012 was one team 2018 was another team 2020 is a different team albeit there are still some guys who are on the 2018 18 team on this team um do i think he's wrong yeah i think he's wrong because there's a perception around the notre dame program fair or not that they can get to the big game. They can get to the CFP. They can get to a a BCS national championship game in the case of 2012, but nobody expects them to win it anymore. And, you know, college football is very different from the seventies and eighties, obviously, which was the last real boom period for Notre Dame. But at the same time, 
you have to prove not only to the skeptics, which I think all of us are, but also probably more importantly to recruits that you can go out there and you can compete with the big boys. Um, will they compete with Alabama? I don't know. I, I tend to lean on the side that this is not going to be a particularly close game, but to say that you have nothing to prove at all, I, I don't think that's right. I think they have something to prove even in not necessarily winning the game, by the way, I don't even think the benchmark, obviously there's no moral victories. And if they lose their seasons over, but you know, if they go out there and play a tight game with Alabama, you're go- you're leaving that stadium as disappointing as it is saying, okay, I can go into a living room and, and I could sell a kid on this. I could sell a family on the idea that we have a chance to play at the level of Alabama and Clemson. So I, I, I don't think he's right in that comment. I get where he's coming from, but to say they have nothing to prove at all, I think is more than a little misguided. Last two things here on this game. The first being that we don't expect Nick Saban to allow anyone on Alabama to smile or think that this game is going to be taken lightly or an easy victory, right? No. I I would highly doubt it. I mean, that that just – trap games just don't happen at Alabama, so I I don't think it will here. That's that's what my thinking was. Just wanted to confirm with you guys. And then the last thing before we move on – how weird is it going to be with the Rose Bowl being played at Cowboys Stadium? Because to me, that's like the weirdest thing that I'm, I'm thinking I've seen maybe in 2020 is as ridiculous as that sounds. And also, I'm going to really miss that atmosphere because that is as great, even with no fans, just as great a venue and, and something to look at on television I'm really going to miss that this year, and it's going to look really, really weird to be at Cowboys Stadium, AT&T Stadium there. Yeah, I mean, a classic cliche that's been said a lot this year is like, oh, that's so 2020, so fitting, and it's another example. I mean, yeah, we're playing it in Texas. Yeah, I think, yeah, the Rose Bowl is like my favorite bowl game because it's just different, right? You get the the panorama shot of the valley. Um, the weather's usually beautiful. It seems like, you know, the field and the end zones, it's just, it has like a different sense to it than usual. And when the playoff was there three years ago, the Georgia Oklahoma game uh, was just a fantastic game. And yeah, like it's just the Rose Bowl is one of those places I want to go before I die. Um, I don't know if you guys have been there. I haven't, I want to, but um, for it to not be there, it stinks. I, I can't lie to you. It stinks. But I think once the game starts, I'm going to kind of commit that out of my mind that this is supposed to be the Rose Bowl. You got me excited a little bit talking about Oklahoma, Georgia. What, what a game that was. Before we finish up on this one, well, I lied. This will be the last thing. We got to get the game predictions in. Yeah. I, I think I know where both of you are leaning. So I will add perhaps another element to this, whether it's you want to give me the score or whether – I'm thinking leaning towards does Alabama cover the spread? Something along those lines as well. Yeah, I'll give you a score here. I got 48-24 Alabama, so that would cover the 19.5-point spread. Um, They'll cover the first half spread. I think they'll come out firing and not necessarily take the foot off the gas, but kind of similar to Florida, there'll be less urgency to score so quickly. So maybe Notre Dame backdoors a touchdown late but I still think they wouldn't even be in cover range in that point. So 48 to 24, that's my final prediction. I'll say 42, 13, Alabama. They cover the spread. 
They get a few big plays. Um, and I think this will be the type of game where let's just say, I don't think Mac Jones will be the one kneeling on the football in the final two minutes. I think it'll be one of the backups and uh, Alabama punches its ticket to Miami on January 11th. And one more thing, if it's, under or over a 29 point margin that I have, if it were to go in either direction, I would be inclined to say more, not less. So give me Alabama and by a lot. None of you, you guys didn't think Alabama could get to 50. Well, I do. So I'm going to give, I'm going to go Alabama 52 to 20. I'm with you there. They're also going to cover the spread. There just doesn't seem to be a ton of hope for Notre Dame as unfortunate as that is, Hey, we'll watch the game. And hopefully Notre Dame can make something of it. And maybe we'll have a different thought process about Notre Dame going forward. Just doesn't seem to be very likely. And, and we seem to, to think we know the way that that game is headed. And it's because everyone feels that way. So we'll see. On to the second matchup of the day. Number two, Clemson against number three, Ohio State. This one is the Sugar Bowl from New Orleans, Louisiana. ESPN's matchup predictor has Ohio State at a 50.2% chance to win, according to ESPN's football power index. That leaves Clemson with the remaining 49.8. The spread is seven and a half in favor of Clemson. The 2-3 matchup often much closer. Usually when we get to number one and number four, we have a much better understanding of, okay, this is going to turn out the way we know it's going to turn out. When you get to Clemson and Ohio State, the 2-3 matchup, you know that anything can happen. And this one particularly difficult to figure out because, again, I don't know if you guys have heard, but Ohio State has only played six games, as Dabo Sweeney loves to allude to in his media availability in ranking them 11th in the coaches poll. Clemson has played a full 11, so you got that. But difficult to understand, really, a a holistic picture of Ohio State with and and through no fault of their own with the way the Big Ten uh, approached all of this stuff in, in this season. This one is really fascinating to me because of the quarterback matchup. And these are guys who might very well go one and two in the NFL draft, or at least could. I know I've got some Jets fans in the Zoom chat here who are shaking their heads a little bit. But that's the thing that fascinates me because as I analyze this matchup, and I don't know if you guys feel the same way, this is very much to me feeling like it's going to come down to how well can Justin Fields play in keeping pace with Trevor Lawrence and that Clemson offense. Yeah. I mean, not to put any more pressure on Justin Fields than already on him, but this has got to be one, the biggest game of his life. And two, the draft stock will probably fluctuate massively depending if he plays, you know, if he plays as poorly as he did against Northwestern um, he's in some real trouble, you know, I mean, maybe not trouble because he'd escape number two, New York jets, but yeah, this is a game that, you know, last year it was a classic, um, one of the best games we've had in the college football playoff, 29-23, Clemson won. But as you all know, this is not the same Ohio State team as last year. You know, you have Chase Young gone, you have some guys in the secondary, Akuda, Damon Arnett gone, and J.K. Dobbins too in this game last year. He had a really, he had a huge game. He had some massive runs that led to a 16-0 lead out of the game for Ohio State. But what I will say is Trey Sermon who is now kind of emerged as the number one running back, 
he was the best player on the field with Northwestern. He had 331 yards, two touchdowns. When Fields was really struggling, he picked him up. And as you said, though, Fields is going to have to play a lot better in this one because, one, Clemson is elite in the run defense. They only give up two and a half or 2.8 yards a carry. And two, Trevor Lawrence in this offense is dynamic. So Justin Fields is going to have to turn it around. He's going to have to play a ton a lot better than he just did, or this is going to be a blowout like we think game one will be. Yeah, and the matchup last year was tremendous. Just a great game between Clemson and Ohio State. And if you'll remember how that game ended, Chris Olave, the receiver for Ohio State, is going to be back for this game. Ran a, a corner route when they were down in the red zone. Justin Fields threw it to the post, got picked off, game over. And Olave and a bunch of other guys are going to be back for Ohio State. So this is not the same team we saw against Northwestern, against Michigan State, against Indiana. It's it's not. Um, the losses, though, on the Ohio State side that you mentioned, Ryan, are tremendously significant and I think will have an impact on this game. Um, and Clemson's still got so much talent offensively. And Trevor Lawrence is obviously, you know, the best player in the country. And you've got Justin Fields obviously playing a big game. And I think that's the question, not just for the draft stock, but can he lead Ohio State to a win in one of these games? I mean, he had them driving down the field last year to go ahead and win it. Couldn't pull it off, but can he do so this year? I think that is a very open question. And I think you're no closer to answering it after what you saw towards the end of the season out of him. He did not play very well. So can he turn it up against a Clemson defense that will probably throw him looks he's never seen before? I think that's a very good question. I think I go into this favoring Clemson for that reason, but I do think it's going to be a solid game. And I think this is the game where we'll see, like we saw last year, Another close one. I think it's I think it's a solid matchup. I liked what you alluded to at the end there, Jimmy, about Justin Fields and how he's looked against some of the superior or best competition that Ohio State has played this year. Because it, it gives me pause with how he played against Northwestern and Indiana. Those are the best two teams that that Ohio State played this season. And again, Northwestern is not a defense to laugh at. They are as good as it gets in the world of college football. So you don't expect that Clemson will even play defense on that level, but at some point they are Northwestern and Justin Fields just really did not look good or comfortable or really able to move that offense at all. And by the way, if Ohio state puts up 22 points in this game, they're going to get run out of the building because you know that Clemson can run it up. So it's just the the mistakes, the indecisive and sometimes questionable decision-making from Justin Fields has made me sort of uh, take take stock in, of the situation and, and pause if that's the right way to say it. And, and just you question about whether he is good enough as a guy who needs to lead in this setting, in this iteration of Ohio State, if they have enough and if he has enough to lead them to where they want to go. This isn't last year where Justin Fields can sort of be along for the ride. And we're going to rely on a really good defense and Chase Young's going to make a bunch of plays for us and you won't be able to throw on us 
because Jeff Okuda and Arnett are, are locking things down in the secondary. No, this is an Ohio State team that we know can score and can be effective, but it's built on their offense, right? This is a team that is, is perhaps little brother, but mirrors the way that particularly Alabama, but also Clemson play, where it sort of starts and finishes with their offense. And then the question becomes, can their defense get enough stops and make enough plays? And when you operate in that fashion, it's just really difficult to have questions about your quarterback. There is no doubt that Mac Jones is going to go out there and play well for Alabama. And there is no doubt that Trevor Lawrence is going to go out there and play well for Clemson. And that's why those two are favored in these situations. And it's going to be difficult. You never say never in these situations, especially because the talent is so much more equal. Like Ohio state certainly belongs on the same field as Clemson. Whereas maybe you don't say that about Notre Dame and Alabama. It's just at, at some point, if Justin Fields is not on his a game, which he hasn't been throughout this season, I just don't think it's possible for Ohio state to beat Clemson. And it's not to say that Fields can't go out and have a good performance, but just based upon what we've seen, it seems pretty questionable to me. Yeah, I mean, and for as much as we're ripping Fields here, I think it's so entirely possible he could play his best game of the year and they still lose because that's the real question mark of Ohio State is their defense and their passing game, right? They're ranked seventh in the Big Ten in pass efficiency. And we've seen, maybe not against Northwestern because that's a limited offense, but the really most competent offense they faced was Indiana, and Mike Penix threw for 491 yards. Um, so this is a secondary that obviously lost the guys I mentioned earlier to the NFL draft from last year. And so even if Fields comes out and lights it up, you know, what's not to say that Trevor Lawrence doesn't do the same and even more because they probably Clemson has the advantage on defense and offense. And so it's just going to be really hard for Ohio State to, you know, Justin Fields, obviously, we're questioning if he can step up and rise to the occasion. He needs to rise to the occasion and the secondary needs to. There's a lot of things that need to go perfect for Ohio State in this game, which makes me lean heavily towards Clemson. Yeah, and let's remember also how Ohio State did beat Northwestern, which is run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Uh, Their touchdown drive, which wound up being the game-winning drive in the late third quarter, did not throw the ball once. Their last touchdown drive of the game, which was uh, on the later side in the fourth quarter, they threw it once. Uh, Trey Sermon wound up running it 29 times, 331 yards. If you think for a second Clemson is letting him do that, you're wrong. Um, So Justin Fields is going to have to be good. He can't be 12 of 27 for 114 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, and four yards per attempt. Like That's just not going to get it done. Um, And look, we can talk about Fields all we want. Um, Yes, it's a, it's a, thing with the whole team and and you know he didn't have the weapons i get that i think he will play better in this game i believe that but clemson is not going to allow trey sermon and master teague to just run all over them the same way ohio state did against northwestern that is just not going to happen you don't impose yourself upon clemson in that way it just doesn't happen so ohio state's got an uphill battle in this game and i think that's a big part of it that they can't just be one dimensional and oh we're gonna run the ball for 300 yards that's not gonna happen in this game that's just unrealistic when you dive into the statistics it's more of a scary picture for ohio state because clemson gives up 99 yards rushing the game 
which is ninth best in the country. So they have been very good. That matches the eye test outside of a game that really inf- inflates things against Notre Dame, where they kind of got it handed to them, but also missing some key defensive pieces. And that was another sort of reason why they struggled in a game that is very much to this point proven to be an anomaly with what we've seen from Notre Dame the rest of the season and how that matchup went once again in the ACC championship game. But you feel like Clemson is playing better defensively, and that's the one matchup that I want to highlight here. Clemson's defense has not been fantastic at times. They have been uh, a unit that is, is there to be had in certain spots, again, highlighting that Notre Dame game, they give up 28 to Boston College. So they haven't been this all-time great defense, but that doesn't really exist in college football anymore for teams that want to have success. I guess Northwestern is a very good defense, and look where they are. It's sitting at home, certainly not sniffing the college football playoff because their offense isn't that way. We know Clemson has the explosive offense, but it's, it's about stopping the run for Clemson and then making Justin Fields beat them through the air. And I guess you just want to finish with this before we get on to, because I, I feel like we, we know that Trevor Lawrence is going to be able to take advantage of what Ohio State offers in the secondary and, and how we feel about the matchup of Justin Fields against the Clemson secondary, because you have a feeling in analyzing this matchup that this is really – where the game would have to be won if Ohio State wants to have any success on Friday night. Yeah, um, you know, I think we've done a good job of highlighting that it's going to be an uphill battle for Ohio State based on how Justin Fields plays. If he plays even remotely close to that, uh, they're going to get waxed. Um, So he needs to step up. As Jimmy said earlier, the run defense for Clemson will be way better than it was for Northwestern. So Trey Sermon is not going to be able to take over this game And Ohio State is not going to be able to win this game if Trey Sermon's the best player on offense. I think that's a good way to put it. It's going to have to be Justin Fields. He's going to have to improve at the end of the day. And, you know, it should be a good game overall. I know we're bashing him a lot right now, but he's still a great talent. And, you know, personally, I'll have a selfish rooting interest for him because he's a possibility for my football team at number two. I'll take this in a slightly different direction than what we've been talking about speaking on the subject of things that will likely not happen again in Clemson's only loss this year to Notre Dame, Travis Etienne, the all world running back for Clemson had his worst game in a tiger uniform, 18 carries 28 yards. That also highly unlikely to be repeated. Ohio state's got to stop him as well he's got a thump particularly late in games when the defenses start wearing out uh i think he could actually have a really big game in this one and he's a guy that i think gets lost a little bit when we're talking about clemson but he is extremely important to their offense he's going to be playing on sundays pretty soon and i think he'll be important in this game and i think they're going to be calling his name a lot One last thing on this matchup that is difficult to ignore, and I alluded to it when I was sort of breaking down the game and and introing it, Dabo Sweeney has been very active in the media and posting as much bulletin board material as possible in adding fuel to the fire for Ohio State playing against Clemson. Now, I'm not inclined to think that this is going to have much of an effect because I I just sit there and, and from my perspective feel like if you're not motivated to play this game, regardless, you're in the wrong business and at the wrong place. 
And if you need Dabo Sweeney to start talking bad about your program, then you're, you're not going to be successful anyway. That said, he has been very vocal and has sort of stuck with the comments even when being challenged about, yeah, Ohio State has only played six games and they don't deserve to be ranked ahead of the teams that played more games than they did. I don't know that it's necessarily him saying that he doesn't respect Ohio State and, and knows that they're going to be a challenge, but at the same time is sort of questioning their resume slash qualifications for being in the game. I don't feel like it's going to have any impact. At some point, Clemson, to me, is the better team, so Ohio State can get as angry as they want. But just some curious comments from Sweeney in the weeks leading up to this game. Yeah, I mean, first off, what I'll say is, like, at the end of the day, the talent is going to show. Um, I also don't think it – no matter how motivated Ohio State is, there's 0% chance that Clemson does not come into this game just as motivated. You know, they lost in the championship last year uh, to LSU, and they do not want to go out here. And so Dabo is going to get them playing hard. And, yeah, you know, he's he has been disrespecting them. You know, he did say, actually, that – he thinks they're good enough to beat them and win a title when he was kind of asked about his comments the day after. But I think this is also just kind of the personality of Dabo. You know, we saw earlier he trashed Florida State, saying that they were too afraid to play him. And I think this is just him maybe – maybe it is bulletin more material, but at the end of the day, as you said, Nick, I do not think this will matter one bit. I don't think it will matter either. I do think it's kind of dumb to do this because everyone knows, like, if Ohio State could pull this off, this is what we're going to be talking about all off season, whether it's right or not. Um, so to put yourself in that position, you know, if your team comes out and has an off night, um, I think it's just unnecessary. Like, I don't even get mad about it. I, I, I'm just questioning why he would do something like that. So look, I think Clemson's the better team here. We've talked about that. Would I be doing what Dabo Sweeney was doing if I was Dabo Sweeney? No, I would not. Um, because, you know, there's this old Lee Corso saying, I think it was Lee Corso. He said, when you're winning, say little, when you're losing, say less. And I think that's kind of at times what you have to do. And I get that he's an outsized personality. That's fine. We love outsized personalities on this show. We dedicated an entire season to Ed Ogeron, but at the same time, you you have to kind of sit here and say, all right, you know, we're going to be smart about it. And coach O talked a lot of smack last year. And it all came back to him basically this year. So I I would say just maybe cool the Jets a little bit on it, uh, at least for future purposes. This week it won't matter, but you never know what will happen down the road. Well, it almost all came back to Coach O. There was one. The win at Arkansas was big because after his comments last year about how they haven't beaten anyone in a long time, you know that would have been thrown right back into his face had they lost that game. They were able to win narrowly, which is kind of embarrassing in and of itself. But it it wasn't all there for Coach O. I just got to throw that out there, Jimmy. But it was pretty close because this year for LSU was certainly terrible. Guys, before we finish up, let's get to the game picks here. Uh, I I get the sense that we're leaning Clemson in this game. Again, same deal with as Alabama and Notre Dame with the spread score prediction. Yeah, I got I have Justin Fields playing better, but I don't think it matters. I have Clemson 37 to 28. I see maybe this game is close, maybe for three quarters, and then Clemson kind of pulls away and proves as a better team. Yeah, I actually see it kind of similarly, but with a different score. I'm gonna say 38 21 
Clemson. I think uh, they do pull away late. I think Travis Etienne is going to have a big fourth quarter. And I think we get Alabama Clemson again in the national championship game, which I don't think is a surprise really to anyone. So give me Clemson by a decent margin. I think this game will be maybe more competitive than the final number. Guys, we're in lockstep here. I'm going to go Clemson 38-23. I think they'll cover the spread, and I just think that the offense at the end of the day for Clemson is too explosive, and the inconsistency from Justin Fields, I think he'll have his moments, but I don't know that he's going to be able to play well enough throughout the duration of that game with some of the challenges that Clemson is able to present defensively to will Ohio State to an upset victory. I think that's what it would take. And I'm not 100% sure that he's capable of doing that. He still might be the number two overall pick for the Jets. I don't know. We'll see. But I don't think it'll be his night on, on Friday. And it may not be the happiest of New Year's for Justin Fields and Ohio State. Well, guys, it's been fun. That's it for this week's episode of College Football Gridiron. You can catch us every week on iTunes, WFUVsports.org, wherever you get your podcasts. For Ryan Gregware, Jimmy Sullivan, I'm Nick DeLuca. Enjoy the college football playoff semifinals. We'll be back to break down the biggest matchup in the land next week for the college football playoff. See you later.